Hi, and welcome to this month's Dharma Things podcast with me, Miz, and this month's carefully selected guest. So we've got a little bite-sized conversation talking about different things that guide us, help us to navigate life, the guests' experiences, uh, emotionally related journeys, physical experiences, knowledge, gems of wisdom, hopefully having a bit of fun along the way and maybe going off on some tangents. So hopefully you can find some inspiration, some motivation uh, and just some joy, maybe helping you understand your journey through life. And joining me this week is the wonderful Bella. Hello, Bella. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Bella. I am a 23-year-old, well, recent graduate. I am of university, just got my bachelor's degree. I'm a plus-size model. And I'm also a self-love, body positivity um, activist and advocate, I like to say, Mm self-love advocate. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of me. There's a lot of other things, but I don't want (laughs) to. We'll get to that. That's the basic list. That's actually the basic list that I have. I love that, self-love advocate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really nice thing to push for people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of, it's not pushing something like an agenda or you know self-love is something that is kind of all-encompassing and you know it takes like a lifetime to build so and I like to say advocate because it's it's just generally kind of advocating for those messages and yeah that's that's it (laughs) yeah and it's something that a lot of people these days don't give themselves enough self-love because they're too caught up in outgoing doing being achieving and stopping to give yourself that self-love is something that people really miss out on Mm, absolutely absolutely and I think a lot of it is to do with just yeah being and feeling and letting yourself have that those moments of like gratitude towards yourself Mm um yeah that's essentially the the message (laughs) yeah I remember reading a I think on one of your Instagram posts um I've been an avid follower of Bella for a while now on Instagram Mm. um um, a Naira Wahid quote that says I am a brutally soft woman and I really like that I think that Mm. describes you really well and I think that's a, a, a phrase that can describe a lot of us women, a lot of our characteristics. And we also talked about a couple of different words that described you, uh, wild and also sensitive, uh, creative, truthful, uh, there's confusion and passion in everything that you do. You're on a constant developmental journey, aren't you? Absolutely, and I think I'm just, I'm very open about not knowing what I'm doing sometimes and being not a finished product I don't want to lie about being this kind of like packaged product but just expressing that I have a lot of questions and I have a lot of you know unresolved things about myself and just kind of celebrating that and celebrating the journey and not the destination if that makes sense and that applies to self-love and everything else so yeah that's kind of uh, being a brutally soft woman is just like this kind of I don't know, having a an extreme vulnerability and embracing it. I think that's mm. kind of the overall, yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect description for you. And I'm sure a lot of us, if we let that in. <laughs> so you're a model. 
(laughs) which is fantastic (laughs) Um, and also this self-love advocate so this is where I start playing um playing devil's advocate god I didn't think I would say that word so much advocate Advocate. um (laughs) how now this is a sweeping statement sweeping statement alert how is it that a beautiful outgoing model genuinely connects with the sensitivities of culture and racism and these little bits of activism that creep into what you do usually we see models as these slightly separate from human mm. um uh you know beings that that, uh, that act wonderfully and look gorgeous all of the time mm. so um what is it about your life that has allowed you to connect with the more sensitive aspects of society and culture Wow, that's like a lot there. Like, <laughs> I know. Okay, um, that makes you different from other models. Like you said that you're a self-love advocate mm. and, and that you do keep it real, really. For sure. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I'm not different from any other, I mean, other than maybe not being the kind of cookie cutter, like runway sized model. And the industry is definitely changing. You know, there is... Mm-hmm. The industry is coming to embrace different body types it's coming very slowly and it's probably not done in the way that is authentic all the time um because capitalism has decided to grasp this idea of body positivity and use it to sell products and that's not done mm. in the most authentic way that's in a way to you know get money right yeah so in a way you know i'm not that different from a lot of other models but i definitely kind of want to embrace, as I said earlier, these feelings of insecurity, even though, you know, I'm a model and, you know, it's it's the, one of the most insecure jobs, I would say, that mm-hmm. you could have, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you have these images of models being, you know, like on the runway or always being perfect in pictures and, you know, it's a job and it's, it's, mm-hmm something that you kind of have to fake it until you make it, which is one of my mottos throughout my life is just pretend to be okay and you will be okay. It's kind of, it's in, it's a form of manifesting. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's what I would say to that. So yeah. So if you're brave enough to sort of get to the threshold of doing something that you know, you, you, uh, your bravery will then grow and get you actually through it. So you might not feel like you've got the strength to get all the way through it, but if you can fake it, once you get there, you're kind of all right. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. I think that's the, and I think that goes with most things in life, mm-hmm. you know, and I think a lot, a lot of people say, you know, cause I post a lot of, actually a couple like three years ago, four years ago, before I even did anything to do with modeling, I, I, decided to post bikini pictures Mm -hmm. and I decided to you know show my body and also maybe have some you know captions talking about like my relationship to myself and you know what it's like to be in a bikini as a bigger girl and people were like oh you're so brave you're so brave and I'm like why do I why why is it brave to just be myself do you know what I mean yeah yeah why do I have to be why do I have to work up confidence to mm-hmm. just merely exist and that is the problem yes you know so that is really interesting as well yeah. um being but also it is brave to be your authentic self because we are so conditioned to fit a certain mold 
yeah. as well from like societal pressures and like you know upbringing and all of that stuff so, yeah exactly you know so, sorry I've kind of deviated a little bit of the topic it's fine but, um, no we deviate a lot that's good <laughs> conversations that's the whole point of them yeah yeah I mean that's the thing when people say oh you're so brave for doing that you're so brave for for saying that I think I've posted some things on my uh Facebook or Instagram or whatever we love social mm. media by the way um <laughs> <laughs> and people are like oh you're so brave and again I'm kind of like well it's just me mm. I've ridden the waves of that it was shit at the time maybe but that's me and yeah it's a little odd when people tell you that you're brave for just being honest mm. and maybe it is because people are too scared of breaking that mold of, of whatever societal norm it is. Mm -hmm. Everybody toes the line. Everybody has a life that's structured in a certain way. Everybody mm. tries to buy the right things and look the right way. And when you deviate from that, people go, oh, it's so brave. Yeah. I would never do it myself. Like, you know, like, oh, I would never, you know, you're so brave. Good for you. Go, girl. And then they would be like, but I would never do it myself. And I mm. think a lot, there's also, there's sometimes there's a feeling that arises within other people that want, they say, oh, you're so brave. And they, they wish they could get over that sense of their self, like feeling like they're limited and they want to be able to wear a bikini or they want to be able to, I don't know, give up mm -hmm. speech or do public speaking or whatever, you know? So yeah, there is this kind of barrier and that people feel like they can't get over because it is all mental. I mean, of course mm -hmm. it's like social conditioning, but yeah. they feel like they, they'll they be, you know, laughed at and, you know, if they, I don't know, yeah. anything, you know? So it is, it is a lot to kind of, comprehend but being being yourself shouldn't be you shouldn't be called brave for being yourself and that's yeah. the system that is wrong that's the societal kind of structures in which we are you know brought up in that yeah. is wrong and that's actually that moment where I felt like I don't know why I'm being called brave or why I'm being called inspirational for literally just like having a bikini on like every other girl on this beach I'm just chubbier than them you know um that is at the point I realized I was like okay well the problem isn't me the problem is and then I started researching into kind of like you know and you hate the word fat phobia but I will use it because I think it's a, <laughs> it's a very like um a good word to describe it but you know I research a lot into you know fat activism and you know the kind of intersection between racism and um fat phobia and and I started to understand like oh this is why I hate my I hated myself or I still struggle with my self-image mm -hmm. you know it's systemic it's something that is not because of one thing it's it's an interconnected you know system of messages that we are brought up in that we have fed and I kind of now I'm starting to disentangle myself from it all and look back at it and be like okay well that is why I felt the way I feel and this is why this is what I have to work through yeah now yeah you know it's kind of taking you know that moment to be like you know what like what what way is forward mm -hmm. and how do yeah. I how do I kind of you know separate and how and, you know and how do I be conscious of the stuff that I consume Mm -hmm. that I consumed when I was a teenager you know and that was causing me to feel that way you know yeah so yeah, yeah it is kind of that realization it's kind of like this weird like enlightenment of like 
oh my god I'm not the problem mm-hmm. I am just a mere human being I'm like I can't be the problem my body shouldn't be a problem yeah you know and it took a while for me to just realize that yeah and that actually the problem is society yeah exactly you know I think a lot of people feel that that you know you're so driven through certain channels when you're at school and fed certain media and social media now and Mm. and images and tv shows and things like that that if you slightly deviate from that there's a little bit of panic and everybody should just be completely okay with being Mm. themselves Mm -hmm. but individuality is something that's sort of stripped from us under the capitalist Mm. nature of the world isn't it Mm, absolutely um but yeah and in terms of your journey um of finding what well or being more comfortable with what your identity is this kind of brings me to to ask more about your background so um your nationality your heritage Mm. um you grew up in england Mm. But that's not all that there is to your heritage, is there? No. So, what so, is your background? So my, so I'm, I'm half Danish. My dad is um, from Denmark, very typical. Um, and then my mom is Nigerian Irish. So yes, and then I was, I was also born in the states and in America. So, but I, I kind of, I grew up mostly in England. But I had a little bit of my, like a glimmer of my childhood, about three years in in Copenhagen, in in Denmark. So, yeah. And how I kind of present myself or how I say, I always say that I'm just a mixed race or I'm a woman of colour. And, you know, the whole mixed race thing, that's a whole other conversation, you know, apart from, you know, but... I always kind of, but I also like to emphasize the fact that I'm Danish because I feel if I was to resonate with one nationality or, you know, background, I would say that I'm Danish. But then again, when I say that I'm Danish, people are like, oh yeah, but you're not really that Danish because you're (laughs) half Danish and why brown, you know? You're not really Danish. We're not really, it's like, and you know, it's where are you really from? Which is the, the, the cursed question that yeah every mixed yeah. race person I could imagine that you've yeah I've had that as well I'm from Manchester no but where are you really from yeah I'm from Manchester really yes I was born there <laughs> okay it's yeah. the most annoying question in the world isn't it where are you really from yeah and what yeah. is that even supposed to mean and it's so loaded and and I know, and 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 then I sometimes, because I, I get asked it a lot, um, especially in Denmark and in Danish. Mm. And sometimes it's really hard to ask what they're actually asking because sometimes, because I speak Danish with an accent and that's fine, whatever. But then they ask me, oh, I say I'm from England. And they're like, yeah, but you know, where are you like actually, you know? And, and being asked that question in Denmark is maybe a different loaded, <clears throat> excuse me, thing than being asked that question in England, because in Denmark there's, you know, we don't have as of a diverse population in mm-hmm. Denmark. I mean, in Copenhagen is pretty diverse, but in, in terms of in co- comparison to England, you know, which is super, super diverse, ethnic, you know, melting pot, like amazing, loads of different cultures. Mm-hmm. So in Denmark, it's a, it's a little bit more loaded and especially in the height of like this very Islamophobic 
history, recent history, you know, it, it, it's a little bit different. And my experiences in England is very different from those in Denmark, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, this yeah. is what I was going to ask you about. Your, having lived in these different countries at different stages in your life, mm. how have you found um, coping, for want of a better word, yeah. with your varied ethnicity mm. um, in these different countries? Because one thing I noticed when I moved here, uh, for anyone listening, I have lived in Copenhagen for a year and a half now, and I'm originally, as I said, from Manchester. Uh, my dad is Pakistani and I've learned a lot about Denmark and like you said it's not as much of a cultural melting pot as mm -hmm. England mm -hmm. so how did you find those structures and those um, attitudes and opinions impacted on you as a kid mm. when you were in England or when you were here mm. and when you've you know you've been going through the education system what sort of Different things have you faced as a mixed race woman, woman of colour mm. in these different countries? I think, I mean, I was, I grew up with my mom. Uh, she was a single, single mom, um, black, and she's, she's black. So I kind of always, you never really get taught colour when you're, I mean, you get taught it, that's the thing. You never really recognise that your mom is brown. It's just, just my mom, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So kind of gradually as I grew up with my, just my mom, I kind of started to learn that she was being treated differently, that she had another set of challenges. And of course, a lot of her talking to me about, you know, black history and black hair and, you know, different like projected hairstyles or whatever, like that kind of impacted me and that kind of impacted my identity and how I like define myself. Um, but in school, when my mom was in there, obviously, because I was in school, like I would probably, be what we call white passing mm -hmm. so passing for white people probably just thought maybe I was like Mediterranean or a lot of people think that I'm Italian or Spanish or Portuguese or whatever all of those lovely countries um, and then my mom would come in and then that would be the question mark you know that would be when people would be like okay what is this <laughs> you know yeah yeah um, yeah I and, know that feeling you know yeah. and it's, <laughs> it really does shift and I think if it really it shifted kind of the narrative and and I always have never been ashamed of my ethnic heritage or like my you know my blackness but it's also kind of that mixed race question of like not feeling black enough or not feeling white enough I went to a boarding school for mm -hmm. most of my education in in England and that was like 98% white right and you know very kind of like home county like I had a really amazing education there and I was very privileged but it was kind of you know very traditional you know boarding school so I felt I that like I was completely different even just the way that I wore my hair it was too messy it was too unruly we had to have kilts down to our um our ankles like okay. you know tartan kilts down right. to our ankles and I was a curvy girl I was like growing it when I was you know 15 or whatever growing into my curves as you know you know genetically that I yeah. that I have and they didn't they they were riding up and like it it didn't fit my body right because it was the kilts were designed for a very kind of skinny white girl yeah right or whatever not to say black yeah. girls can't be skinny or whatever but it was just those little things that kind of send subliminal messages unconscious messages that I wasn't 
like welcome or not that I wasn't welcome but I, that I just didn't fit in it was just something odd little odd things and yeah. that kind of you know oh hello we're just being welcomed by the cat by the cat <laughs> but yeah I, I went to a school that had um uh our our school used to be a grammar school and mm. we still had a lot of the teachers and a lot of the practices and exactly the same we had a set uniform and it just didn't suit me it just didn't look right on me and mm. I was uh constantly made fun of because of the way it looked because I didn't look like the other girls it also got to the point when I was a certain age and my dad would have preferred me to wear trousers Muslim mm. he didn't enforce that but I took the decision to do that because I was sick of being picked on in a skirt mm. so then that brought a whole more mm. load of challenges you know that I was wearing trousers to go to school right and then I was you know the tomboy etc so sometimes I felt like I couldn't win no that whatever it was whether I sat on the fence and then people discovered that dad was Pakistani and and you sometimes I felt like I just couldn't win whether mm -hmm. I embraced my heritage or if I didn't there was just no winning point when I was at school and you're trying to impress or you're trying to please two different sets of people you're trying to please you know socially but also like family life as well mm -hmm. like that is also really hard and when you're growing up when you're 15 16 or whatever like you just want people to like you you just want people to be happy yeah and you're still trying to work out <laughs> you're still trying to work sorry the cat's here um, <laughs> you're trying to work out who you are yeah and that kind of form those formative years it really kind of it resonates with you throughout the rest of your life and it tells a lot of different you know so I've always kind of felt like an outsider in that way and then I got to university and then that whole it all kind of changed because I was out of this kind of system okay. this kind of boarding school life whatever yeah changed um, for the better I mean yeah I think I had the opportunity to, I was the BME, so Black Minority Ethnic Officer at my university. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I had a lot of, I had a lot of rage, a lot of energy that I wasn't really kind of able to express in school about like anti-racist activism. Um, and I kind of had that opportunity to do that at university and right. embrace that kind of side of myself and really educate myself on yeah anti-racism and, mm -hmm. and, and black history and yeah. you know so yeah university kind of was a game changer in terms of how and I went to Edinburgh University so that was quite yeah. international also quite still white all right <laughs> uh, okay at the university okay. so um yeah I it presented us a different challenges but it definitely going to university did it was a game game changer for me and the mm -hmm. way that I was allowed to express myself I didn't have to wear a uniform yeah you know anymore I could you know really embrace myself and really and that was kind of the start of learning who I was if that makes sense yeah yeah um my goodness I'm losing my questions here so aside from the family structures and these things that you went through in your education mm. um what have you found differences in the actual countries talking a little bit more about the maybe the common nature of people how you were welcomed in the outside world how you've been welcomed as a model on social media mm. uh the different opinions and feedback and even 
maybe sort of presumptions that you've had from different people in different countries in the position that you're in mm. have you as you've developed through university um, and your modeling career has developed what how have you sort of faced these challenges as you said that your mum used to face how have you faced these challenges in your career as you've grown exclusively as a model or just generally in the outside world in the world outside of being in education because mm. you are in a little bubble even when you're at university of if course. it's differed from from boarding school but outside of that when Bella is out in the world yeah um, with this ever developing identity when Bella is out there in the world what is different um, what different things do you face when you're sort of in England or in Denmark or on your social media? Yeah. Oh, I think, okay, well, I think <laughs> in, in Denmark, it's, it is, as I said, a, a big feeling like a human question mark because, you know, I have a Danish name and, mm. you know, I, I have kind of got a friendship group that is all very Danish. And when I meet other Danes, people are like, they want to ask questions and they want to ask, okay, your dad is Danish, but how long have you been here? Like where, you know, again, where are you really from? And having to always explain myself. And sometimes I'm at, I'm just at a bar, like wanting to get a beer. And I, someone thinks it's like amusing or they think it's like, they're just curious to ask me, mm -hmm. you know? And a lot of these things, like, I just don't want to talk about, you know, this is family stuff. This is family relations. This is family, you know, and, just to open up and being expected to always explain myself is something that I found extremely exhausting. Sometimes I have the energy for it. Sometimes I, I don't mind, you know, because people yeah. find it exciting or maybe even exotic, yeah. <laughs> which is a word that I have problems with sometimes. Yeah. Um, so people actually come up to you in bars and, and in Denmark and will genuinely start asking you about your heritage. Yeah, if, if, for sure. Yeah, of course. Or if I start speaking anything, they're just like, hey, you know, and I think it's also this sense of being fetishized as a mixed race woman, mm. because you are seen as exotic, you are seen as something that, you know, I mean, maybe a little bit different in Copenhagen, because it's, it's pretty diverse, you know, but in other like rural parts of Denmark or just whatever, like it, it, it can get a very like feeling like I always have to explain myself and like mm. how long I've been here. Like where, like the, my parents, like the genealogy, you know, going into like my heritage and like my life history. And it's like, yo, I'm just trying to get like a, a beer here. Like why, yeah. I mean, talk to me first. And then I have a whole other story yeah. to tell other than, my color all the, the way color of your skin yeah. yeah there's a lot of uh, presumptions and, and misconceptions aren't there around um well when somebody looks at you and sees that you're a woman of color um i think we had a chat about this on online when you had made a comment around um black women are always seen as being over emotional mm. Mm -hmm. um, I think you were talking about mental health again with your honesty as you do something that you'd been through and um, yeah you were seeing black women were always seen as being emotional and you had to explain that one to me because I didn't quite grasp it do you remember yeah no, I, now I remember now <laughs> yeah I'm like, yes, I got and, it. and I was like okay explain this to me because even though you and I are both lumped into this um, ethnic minorities label or whatever mm. our ethnicities are very different for sure um, and I didn't quite get this and there are a lot of presumptions around 
women of color. So mm. we were talking about um, things from history, weren't mm. we? Mm. The representation of women of color. Yeah. Um, throughout history. Stereotypes yeah. and, and how, um, you know, there are different, and this is why a lot of people have um, problems with the term women of color because you're kind of lumping every other non-white person yeah. or non-white woman into one label and assuming that they have the same experiences when they don't because yeah. there are so many different dynamics that go on in between different kind of like backgrounds that people just don't talk about you know mm -hmm. for example you know um, black women being perceived as too emotional or too angry I was talking about the angry black woman trope and how mm. if I raise my voice or not maybe me because like if I think about my mom and you know other black women I know that they've had experiences of if they just stand up for themselves they're seen as angry and you know fierce and you know too hard to handle or whatever but if a mm -hmm. white woman did exactly the same thing it's like sympathetic and that's just because of these ideas or like stereotypes that have kind of been fed to us through media that we just assume that that's they're playing a character and those mm -hmm. aren't and that's why representation is so 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 important mm -hmm. because it really affects the way that we perceive others other mm -hmm. you know yeah um yeah yeah we were talking things like the um the really old-fashioned cartoons um mm -hmm. so like in was it tom and jerry or something yeah where there was always an angry black lady that was chasing the cat and the mouse with a broomstick and this kind of thing is what was fed through TV sets across the world. Yeah. Um, that that is what a, a, a black woman would be like. So yeah. if you saw someone like that, that is what she would be like. She would be angry and big yeah. and shouty and aggressive. Mm. Um, Absolutely. My yeah. mom grew up with the minstrel show. You know? oh, yes and and she that was the only representation of black people mm -hmm. that she had growing up she grew up in like the 50s 60s right mm -hmm. so like and these are negative stereotypes they're not even black people <laughs> that show it's like white people dressing up in blackface right yeah so it and it when you, without that lack without that representation of yourself being able to see yourself in in media and tv or whatever it's really it's really effective and it affects how you, you understand yourself in relation to like the world yeah and yeah. so yeah and it's interesting that we were talking about you know this kind of trope and you know, you, you didn't really understand it but actually it like, just took me a while to put two and two together and I was like oh shit right okay yeah that's the course. point because it's so yeah. ingrained yeah you know? exactly even in me because my upbringing I was completely whitewashed Mm. We were away from my dad's family and I was like, like you mentioned at, at school, you're in a 98% white school. And uh, I, in my early twenties, I even changed my name. So mm. people could continue to presume that I was Italian if they wanted to presume that. And I didn't mm. discuss it any further, mm. you mm. know? Um, so yeah, I was very much in a white world where I would see those tropes and not necessarily have the input from family or anybody around me to tell me any difference. So I had a very white perspective on that situation that mm. you that you raised, and it took me some time to put those two things together. But um, yeah, and I mean, how when you're growing up with those labels, with those tropes, with those attitudes, how did that kind of thing affect you in terms of growing into and being? comfortable with that side of your person mm. 
Um, was it something that, you know, you, you were shying away from or struggling with finding your identity and who is Bella? Because mm. you've got all those things that, like you said, are very negative images. And as a 15, 16, even 18 or even 23 year old, mm. do you want to associate yourself with those negative things? How do you combat that? Mm. I think it's also because the only, rep I mean, I think I'm just thinking about like growing up and like there was always this kind of trope of black women being sassy. So that's an aspect that I kind of played up because people found it funny right mm -hmm. and being kind of you know brash and you know whatever or sassy or you know all of this stuff that is kind of like the stereotypes of of black women and and I thought that that was me embracing my blackness by being that way and, and in a way I was kind of pleasing like the white people <laughs> because they found it funny and I was kind of playing into their idea of blackness okay um so yeah, those kind of stereotypes that were very limited, you know, due to limited representation, that did affect me. And the fact it, it affected me in the way that I in the in the way that I acted. And you know, it's it is tough. And, and still now, I mean, I mean now I live in Denmark and I I'm trying to work out like, okay, like am, am I am I gonna try and do the whole Danish thing now? Um, <laughs> am I gonna do be you know whatever or do I just be my you know so there's so many different like kind of things but yeah it is it is tough but now I think because of this like increased representation of of you know the mixed race experiences the black experiences like shows like chewing gum or I will destroy you or you know those are just off the top of my head like these are really amazing representations of women black women and women of color having like experiences that also not actually don't necessarily pertain to their race mm -hmm. so yeah and just also just like reading and doing more kind of research into these stereotypes that it's kind of like freed me from like the shackles of feeling like I need to perform in a certain way to appease yeah. other people does that make sense yeah yeah it makes complete sense it makes complete sense I remember when I was moving here somebody actually I, I was talking about um what I was going to do with work and you know I didn't really know an awful lot about being a yoga teacher here I knew one or two studios and somebody actually said to me that I should use my heritage and play on my heritage and that could be my USP and uh, mm. part of me thought oh that's a really good idea because I don't think there's that many Indian people in in Copenhagen I hadn't met any after four years of coming here mm. and then I was actually like why should I? Mm. Why should I play up to this? Mm. Oh, hey, I'm the Indian person. I'm going to suddenly wear a sari and fit into your idea yeah, of token. this thing. So, yeah, token. Yeah. Um, just being the token Indian person. Because, as I said, I was completely whitewashed as a kid. I haven't got a clue about my heritage mm. and what, you know, what being an authentic Punjabi mm. means, really, you know. Um, and I, that was just a very strange thing to as an adult to be like oh my heritage oh my heritage oh like yeah how does this work and like you said suddenly realizing that that you in order to make yourself look positive you're still playing into the hands of certain boxes and certain ideas and mm -hmm. certain presumptions mm -hmm. you know I can be a Punjabi person um and not wander around in a 
sari yeah and eat curry every day of the week or yeah you know whatever um yeah and I mean it took me a long time to em- embrace my Punjabiness mm. um rather than constantly feeling like an outsider and it was something that I, I, on some level would be poked at, poked fun at yeah you know you were you were like you said answering questions or or satisfying someone's needs and somebody else's expectations it's yeah a very odd position to be in um and things are, like you said, things are shifting in terms of the the conversations that are out there. Yeah. Um, so this is having a real impact on how communities are welcomed in society generally, do you think, um, in terms of how sort of the black community is welcomed into white society? Do you think there's a shift in that? Do you think things are getting better? Do you think things like Black Lives Matter are sort of making life easier or not? Big discussion, political, depends on the country, yeah. Really does because this, the Black Lives Matter movement is very different in Denmark than it is in the UK, as it mm-hmm. is in USA or Italy or France or whatever. Um, I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, actually coming from a mixed race perspective, um, I think there is, I mean, in the last 10 years, of course, there has been more mixed race people because of, you know, immigration in, mm-hmm. in Denmark so kind mm-hmm. of there is like this heightened visibility mm. but actually through I did actually some of my undergraduate on this about its language matters so much and there's such limited language in the Danish language um, about race so oh, okay yeah so the word for mixed race in Danish if anyone's Danish listening to me they can obviously please correct me on this because I'm not completely sure <laughs> but the, the word for mixed race is mulet which is comes from the word mulatto which comes from the spanish word i believe or portuguese word meaning the hybrid between an ass and a donkey or a a horse and a donkey oh so if you kind of trace the you know the etymological history of the word mulet actually Mm -hmm. and that's the only i mean you could say which is like mixed blood or whatever Mm -hmm. but the predominant word for mixed race in Danish is mulet. And if you trace that back, that is has a very racist history right. from colonialism. That, the word mulatto in American, like during like, the times of slavery, that's that's what they would be using. Okay. Um, so, and I, I think I once heard that word in the America and I was told you cannot, you can't, can't use that word mulatto mm-hmm. because it has this history. But in Denmark, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, mulet. You know, and I first I kind of criticized my Danish friends for saying that word and explained to them the history. But in the end, I kind of just succumbed to it because it's just easier to say mulet, which is kind of wrong. Yeah, (laughs) because it is a a bad word if you think about it. But like there's just no other words. So I think there is kind of to answer your question, Mm -hmm. the whole how communities are changing and like integration and everything. But there is kind of a heightened visibility of of blackness and being mixed race in Denmark, but I think we're so limited by our language and like traditions that are like kind of rooted, Uh, you know, I feel like Danishness or the Danes are very unwilling to change themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why language matters, like linguistically, like that those things are very hard to change. Yeah. Um, You know, so it 
on different factors, like yes, but also on different factors, no, it's it's still very stagnant and things are moving much lower than other countries, especially in Scandinavia, yeah. like Sweden or okay. uh, maybe Norway. Um, I think Denmark is the slowest <laughs> country right. to change in terms okay. of race visibility and okay, you know. Sorry, yeah. there was a lot there. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a it was a very broad question. Yeah, and I mean in England, like like we've already said, England is much more of a melting pot of different cultures. Again, coming back to colonialism, but there, there's been completely different levels of immigration into England uh, mm. than there has in Denmark. I mean, um, in well, in my understanding, again, do correct us if we're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I know that in the last couple of hundred years, there have been big pushes to the British Commonwealth um, to attract people into England to live and Windrush. work. And yet Windrush, um, which relates to the influx of people from the West Indies, Windrush. Um, but it was at the same time, my dad moved to England from Pakistan. There were people from India, uh, people from certain colonies in Africa, um, all descending on England because of promises from the government. Um, <laughs> Again, mm. another story. But uh, Denmark hasn't done that. Yeah. Um, and I think subsequently, even though there are certain political factions in England who have got incredibly questionable right wing policies, like you're talking about the language, language is changing and the way people are referred to and talked about. Um, in all their differences as human beings mm. is changing in England. Um, because the people have been there and all those different languages as has happened through English history for hundreds of years, the language is changing because of that. I think it's really interesting to realize that Denmark isn't shifting on that. Mm. I've just got one word. One word for mixed race. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Really. Yeah. And I think, and I think a lot of it is to do with the way that they have, Denmark hasn't nationally acknowledged its colonial history. Okay. Um, and it's still the situation with Greenland. I don't know if you know anything that much. A little. So Denmark, well, okay, this is gonna be, a, I, I'm not <laughs> that much like, you know, informed about Greenland, but- um, A brief Denmark, history. Denmark has kind of <laughs> a sovereign, sovereign ties with Greenland. Yep. Um, and the way that they've treated like the Greenlanders or like um, the Inuit population in Greenland mm -hmm. um, that started 300 years ago. Like they, from my, in my knowledge, I don't think they have acknowledged the way that they've treated them. And I think this kind of lack of um, reflection or lack of acknowledgement has something to do with also the way that they address race. Mm -hmm. in in Denmark and the way that they talk about it and and I think the biggest problem is is just acknowledging that they excuse me <coughs> have a race problem yeah and they don't really there aren't many that like active conversations about like ethnicity and race in mm -hmm. Denmark and then normally if there are conversations about it it's normally to do with Islam mm. <laughs> and that being a quote-unquote problem or whatever and like the way that you know the how Danishness and Islam is incompatible or whatever and that's kind of like the limitations of <laughs> of the conversation yeah um like this idea of Danishness being like threatened 
mm-hmm. under you know these other kind of cultures or whatever mm-hmm. and that's only one kind of opinion obviously not mine but you know so it's it's this kind of narrative so that is kind of the difference between the UK and Denmark is that Denmark just doesn't really we don't really talk about race as much yeah I yeah mean, it's it's not yeah it's not really out there and it's yeah. really uncomfortable for Danes or for some Danes some Danes to talk about it um, yeah definitely yeah. I mean it doesn't necessarily mean that 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 the UK is suddenly doing amazingly no, by no not. means <laughs> but at least the conversations are out there I actually um looked into um the rise of uh, very deep of the rise of fascism in Europe mm. and um and right-wing um tendencies and I found a report um that had been done uh, last year so 2020 and it was different representatives from most of the EU states mm. and they had researchers in um politics and sociology I think the easiest way to put it um who had looked into the right-wing tendencies of all these different countries and you've got like in eastern Europe there were um some really great sounding parties that were doing all sorts of things for kids and families and climate change etc but then they had pretty horrible like immigration and Mm anti-muslim policies as well Mm -hmm. um There were a lot of groups that were out on the street sort of campaigning, etc. There was one, the the section that was about England uh, was talking about these um, kind of activism groups that you could join, etc, etc. And then when I got to the page about Denmark, it was really interesting that there was very little on activism groups. Mm. Uh, The majority of it was about the politics and the people in the last three years, particularly, Um, that have gone straight into politics for these anti-Muslim policies, these right-wing policies. There isn't much of a grassroots activism narrative Mm. in Denmark, whereas in England there was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found that incredibly interesting Mm. that that people here seem to not want to talk about it. It's like there are secret conversations and it just jumps straight into politics. Yeah, I mean, I, I... There are definitely activist groups like Black Lives Matter Denmark, Mm -hmm. um, the Afro-Danish Collective, um, a lot of, there are loads of different activist groups and I think that's the problem, people just don't talk about it, you know? Yeah. Um, And I mean, I haven't really been in Denmark for more than three, two years even, so I can't really speak on like the kind of longevity of it, but yeah, it is kind of very politically focused and not people don't really have that much of a knowledge of the actual like activist work mm-hmm. that are being done that is being yeah. done yeah and you know so and I think we just need more kind of visibility in terms of you know talking about it and like yeah. you know raising awareness of like these groups that do exist it's just not on the same like visibility level than maybe yeah. like the UK or you know whatever so yeah yeah it is it's a tricky one mm. and, then, and also yeah just getting into activism is also like very complex and yeah especially in Denmark because a lot of it is in, in, in Danish and yeah you yeah. know language barriers language barriers yeah. and all that so yeah yeah um 
Well, we've had a, a really long chat, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just aware that we don't want to have this be in one where we go on and on and on for like an hour and a half and talk and talk and talk. Um, and bringing this all back to you and your mm. work around body positive advocacy. Mm. Um, I mean, you're an incredibly intelligent young woman. You've got a lot of facets to your life. And we mentioned the word fat phobia. Mm. So um, thinking about your your work as a, as a self-love advocate, body positive person, um, all the things that we've talk about, talked about are encompassed within that, right? Mm. Body positivity isn't just about fat phobia. No. And it's not also about like radic like loving yourself in every single moment of the day i think that's kind of like this kind of myth that we've been taught that like body positivity equals like i need to love myself in every single way all the time and it's just like it's not that and it's also as you said not necessarily to do with the size all the time it's just this kind of acceptance of coming as you are and mm -hmm. accepting that you're you are fine in whatever state you are whether you're looking if you have loads of makeup on whatever do that if you have nothing on and you want to be naked or you want to be a nudist or whatever you know do that or if you're feeling crappy about yourself you know like if you're feeling crappy about yourself or you're having a bad body image day it's not body positivity isn't like putting a plaster on it like kind of superficially being like no you are gorgeous and you are everything it's just it's it's it, it for me, body positivity or like real true self-love is acknowledging that you have image, like you have that these bad images of yourself or you have these bad feelings about yourself and just kind of working with them and like being more reflective and questioning why and really doing the kind of like personal work instead of just ignoring all of those feelings and just being like, I'm amazing, I'm capable, even though mm -hmm. I feel like crap, because that's actually not really getting to the root of the problem. That's just very surface level and superficial, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it is, it's a deeper acceptance and it's like, it's definitely not linear. Any like mm -hmm. loving yourself isn't linear. It's not gonna happen overnight, but it's a journey. Um, and just kind of nourishing and, you know, cultivating that relationship within yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that is, for me, the truest definition of self-love. It's a bit long, long-winded. I apologize. <laughs> but that's what I would say. Sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's completely fine. I went on. And, well. <laughs> and that is how a beautiful model brings together all these aspects of being an activist and facing issues of identity. So thank you so much, Bella, for talking about normalizing being human. I think that's a good, uh, a good subject line for this for when I put it up online. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Bella. Thank you for having me. It's been great. <laughs> Yeah, lots and lots to think about. Um, so thank you so much for your time and expertise. And for those of you that are listening in at home, don't forget to give our guests some love on social media. Spread the word of Bella and her ethos, everything that she stands for. 
<laughs> and hopefully um, this conversation can guide you through your experiences as well. There's an awful lot in there. If you've got any questions, let us know. Um, share your opinions as well. Mm. Okay. Until next time, thank you for listening.